0: Welcome to this week's podcast, at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. It's great to see you guys here this morning. Obviously, you had an extra hour of sleep, and so you're looking fantastic. This morning my favorite. Favorite Sunday is the one where I get just an extra hour to, to sleep in. It's fantastic. Hey, I want to show a photo to you, if you guys can pull this next photo up. Now, some of you may know why this photo is significant, and I imagine most of you don't. I didn't when I first saw it. This is a pub, and it is a pub in Oxford, England. And some 90 years ago, and and so this is the inside of the pub, there's a very famous corner where a group of uh, professors, Mainly of philosophy and English literature, and their tweed jackets, a few pints on the table. Imagine uh, a a couple, uh, there's some smoking. Anyways, all of that's going on. They would gather in this corner in 1933, some 90 years ago, and they would sit there as a community, as a fellowship, and they would simply share what God was doing in their life, and they would have notebooks and they'd bring these notebooks, and they would talk about what they're studying and and what they're learning. One of those men was a guy named John. And see, John was a historian of the English language. He, He loved to study the meaning and the context of words, but he was also somebody that loved fantasy stories, wizards, orcs, elves. Maybe you're starting to clue in into who these people are. And he would come, and he would, talk about the worlds he was creating, the languages he was inventing. And there was another guy named Clive. And Clive loved uh, fantasy and he loved fairy tales. And he was a a professor of English literature. And he would also come with his notebooks and, and these men would sit together and they would talk. Now, if you were in that pub on a Tuesday afternoon in 1933 and you saw these old men sitting in the corner, there's nothing about them that would stand out to you. There wasn't a crowd, bless you, there wasn't a crowd of people looking for an autograph. These weren't impressive individuals. This is Oxford. There were probably professors all around in pubs, all around that community that were getting together and having highbrow conversations. But there was something very unique about this group. Many of them were very committed Christians, and they took their Christian worldview and their vision of Jesus, and it influenced the work that they were doing it influenced why they gathered and supported each other. And if you're starting to clue in, that this group was called the Inklings. The Inklings. And among them was J.R.R. Tolkien, which is, of course, the Lord of the Rings, right? You guys are there. And then C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. And especially, the Chronicles of Narnia were written almost as a allegory for the gospel. That C.S. Lewis wanted to described the story of Jesus with language that was new and fresh, and it really influenced millions and millions and millions of people have been influenced by these men, their faith in Jesus, and their writings. But again, if you went back in a time machine, and you witnessed these men sitting around that table, you wouldn't have seen anything extraordinary or different, unless you might have eyes to see And ears to hear. That God was working in these men and through their lives and also through the years of their influence have brought many people to Christ and have impacted millions of people through their writings. But it had a very ordinary beginning because such is the kingdom of God. We're in Mark chapter 4. If you want to grab a Bible, there's one in front of you But in Mark chapter four, we're in these parables where Jesus is describing what is the kingdom of God. And he uses these stories, these ordinary everyday experiences that people would have to describe what the kingdom of God is like. Now kingdoms, we don't tend to think about kingdoms, but the kingdom of God was God's good rule and reign, which in a sense through sin has been kicked out of the world, God's not vacated the world, he's still present, but he's been rejected. And because of that rejection, you and I, we're kind of blind. Spiritually, we don't see well. We don't hear well. And and there's a part of us that's spiritually dead. Though we're created in God's image with deep value, we need the kingdom to come in, right? We need light to open my eyes and open my ears. And that's not a one-time thing. Because, see, the kingdom of God, it, it works in a very veiled way. Almost in a hidden way, in an unexpected way. And as I was going through this... Passage this week, I realized that there's expectations I have on God that could actually blind me from seeing where he's at work. There's expectations around the kind of people he uses and the kind of community he shows up in, the way that God does things. And if we don't have the eyes to see, if we're not sensitive to the Spirit of God, we can miss God working in the world. So we're going to look at three parables. We're going to kind of go quickly through them, and we're going to really land on the parable of the mustard seed, but Jesus is going to describe the kingdom as a lamp that shows up in a dark room. He's going to say there's this farmer, and he's sowing seed, and he's going to bed, and he's getting up, and the plants grow, but he doesn't notice their growth. And then finally, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. You guys ready to jump into these parables? Because they require thought. And so, before we read, let me just pray for us. Would you pray for me and let's invite the Spirit to give us these eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, I just confess to you, this world is so noisy. And it can be the noise of suffering and violence. And so, Father, we pray over Palestine and Israel. We pray over fathers, mothers, children. There is so much fear, violence, hurt. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. And Father, in our own communities and even in this room, there's hardships and heartache and and pain. And so, Father, meet us there. Help us to trust you, to open our hearts to see. Would you teach us, Holy Spirit, that would you illuminate uh, the truth of Christ? We need you, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Mark chapter 4, if you guys are ready, we're going to pick it up in verse 21. Mark chapter 4, verse 21. This is the word of the Lord. And so Jesus, he said to them, is a lamp brought into in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. But if anyone has ears, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man would scatter seed on the ground and he sleeps and he rises night and day and the seed sprouts and it grows and he knows not how, but the earth produces by itself first the blade, the ear, the full grain in the ear. But then as the grain is ripe, at once he puts it to the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can I compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall I use for it? Well, it's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on the earth, and yet when it is sown, it grows and it becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make their nests in its shade. With many parables he spoke the word to them, and as they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Crystal clear, isn't it? No. What is he talking about, right? We love clarity. Get to the point. Tell me the main idea. Jesus He speaks in a way that forces us either to listen and draw in or to say, this is nuts. A lamp, a farmer, a seed, what is he describing? He's describing the nature of something that with words is hard to describe, it's the kingdom of God, it's God's good rule and reign. Remember the creation we live in, this, this old creation has been corrupted, it's broken, even the earth cries out to be healed. And God through Jesus is showing up, his presence and power is coming in and through the person of Jesus. So what was Jesus' first sermon? You guys know this, right? Mark 1:15. hey, the kingdom of God is here, repent and believe the good news. What's the good news? God is here and he's in me and he's working through what I'm saying and what I'm doing. God is here and he's healing. And wherever God is, there's healing coming in, but the challenge is, oh my gosh, Jesus is doing things in a way that's so un, it's not what we expect. It's not what we would think God would do if God would show up in the world. It's, it's small, it's hidden, it's, it's confusing. And so let's go through just quickly and begin to survey again. And, and I would encourage you this week, really think about these images. All week I've had these lamps in my head, and some dude's sleeping, and he's sleeping in the morning, and his seed's growing, and here's a mustard seed, and he, we're supposed to imagine, what is God teaching me through this? So notice verse 21, he says, the kingdom of God, it's like this lamp, and it's in a dark room. But you wouldn't light a lamp, right, a candle and put it under a basket or hide it under the bed. No, it's for a stand. And so then he explains in very veiled language, nothing that's hidden except to be made manifest. A a candle is to bring light, right? It's not to be hidden. Nor is anything secret except which should come to light. What he's describing is that there's this nature of God's kingdom that's somewhat hidden, that Jesus is the light of the world, but why isn't the world better? Jesus is the light of the world, but why are the religious people rejecting him? And why are the poor people running to him? And why is he spending time with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners? This man is a glutton and a drunkard. Why is he doing the things that he does? This is not how God shows up in the world. The way Jesus shows up, it's a, it's a secret in some ways, right? It's, it's a mystery. He's not what we, what we expect, because see, to the Jewish people, this word kingdom of God is a really pregnant phrase. It's an Old Testament idea. And it brings all of these expectations. It's kind of like Christmas is coming. You know what Christmas is. But if you've never done Christmas and somebody was trying to describe it to you, you'd be like, what is this thing? Somebody comes down a chimney and there's some elf that watches me. And, and if I do wrong and right, and he, oh, it sounds kind of creepy, Right. But there's this sense in which they've never gone through Christmas, they've not seen the kingdom and they have all these expectations of what it's gonna be like when the kingdom of God comes. Israel, as a land's gonna be healed, that was one of the Old Testament promises and then all of Israel, like a family, is gonna have a reunion. They're all gonna come back from these distant lands and all the bad people, lightning's gonna come down and wipe out the pagans and when you look at Jesus, is that expectation and the way that Jesus is living, does it line up? Why is he loving a Roman centurion? Why is he touching someone as dirty and as unclean as a leper? Why is one of his disciples a woman who had, was demon possessed and was a prostitute? Is this God? Do you, do you see how it's hidden, isn't it? It's, it's failed. But one day he's saying, everyone will see. Everyone will hear. So don't be discouraged, it's coming. So that's number one. And and notice, he goes on to explain, we have to be willing to listen. Verse 23, he who has hears, let him hear, right? And he said, pay attention, notice what? What are you guys listening to? What's the lens through which you view other people? That's important. Because notice, what are you listening to? What you listen to changes how you love, It changes how you engage. It changes what you value. It changes what you think is most important. It changes how you engage with others. Notice what do you hear? With the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. And still more is going to be added to you. For the one who has, so he has a lot. What does he have a lot of? He has a lot of hearing, right? A lot of understanding. To the one who's listening, who's pressing in, who's open, more is going to be given. But to the one who doesn't hear, obviously, you're not going to get much more if you're not willing to listen. So second parable, here we go. The kingdom of God is like a man. So this is a farmer and he's, he's got this field in front of him and he's scattering seed on the ground and then he's going to bed, he's getting up, that's his day and the seed sprouts and it grows, but notice he doesn't know how it works. I mean, he knows that seed goes, have you ever studied that? Do you realize how many nutrients, how much outside of a human control has to happen for a seed to grow? Nitrogen, oxygen, water, light. He says, I don't know how this works. But notice the earth, and this is an important word, by itself. In reference to the gospel, to the kingdom of God, the the earth by itself, it produces first the blade, the ear, the grain. But when the grain is ripe, then comes the harvest is coming. So what is the kingdom of God like? The kingdom of God doesn't seem to be doing anything at times. Have you ever felt that? You know, God, if you were in my life, you would take care of this and this and this. I wouldn't be experiencing these situations. I, I wouldn't be suffering in this way. There wouldn't be these kind of heartaches and difficulties. It doesn't seem like you're even here. Have you felt that? We have expectations, don't we? But see, the kingdom of God, the gospel, we go out and we share that word. We love others. We serve others. And what, what he's saying is that that, that word is powerful. The love, the sacrifice, the name of Jesus is powerful. And though we sleep and we get up and we're thinking my kids don't care about this. My neighbor thinks I'm a nut job. Evergreen thinks we're stupid to gather on Sunday morning, got an extra hour of sleep in. But something's at work. Just like at the Eagle and Child in Oxford, England, there's, there's a spirit of God at work and he's cultivating and he's moving and, and you and I don't see it, right? We're like, I, I don't get it. I don't understand what's happening. But you need to have eyes to see. You've gotta have ears to hear. You can't assume you know what's happening. Do you start to see the posture that a disciple of Jesus needs as he's following Jesus? Things are not gonna pour out the way you expect. And in fact, you see this language all throughout the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 3.5. Paul's having an argument with a church because they had their favorite pastor, you know, we got this preacher and this preacher and this preacher, and this is my guy. And he says, you know, what's Apollos? What's Paul? We're just servants, guys, just men through whom God used. And, and the Lord assigned us a task, and I planted. Apollos watered, but notice God is the one who produces the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. It's God who brings growth. You've heard of that word automatic, right? That actually comes from the Greek word in verse 28. In verse 28, it says by itself, auto, which is self or it, matos, automatic. The word of God is automatic. The power is inside. It's not what we do. Now, we're faithful to what God's called us to, but when we are faithful, then God begins to multiply. This is how the kingdom of God works. This is how God shows up, and so don't be discouraged. Instead, train your eyes, train your ears. Third, the third parable. And he said, with what can I compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall I use? It's like you know, it's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on the earth, and yet when it's sown, it grows, and it becomes larger than all the plants in the garden, and it puts out shade in large branches so that even birds can make their nests in the shade. Now, here's a picture of a mustard seed. I have no idea what a mustard seed looks like, so I guess that's one. If it's not, please tell me, I've got it wrong. I'm trusting Google at this point. But as you can tell, it's pretty pretty insignificant. Now let me pause for a minute. I wanna just address something the way we read the Bible. Is Jesus giving us a botany lesson? Is this about horticulture? Now what he's describing is the average experience of somebody in Israel and Palestine who has a garden, did you notice that? It's the largest of garden plants. Is this the smallest seed? No, it's relative. Because sometimes, I've heard pastors do this, they they need to prove that this is the smallest seed of all the seeds because the Bible says it. But see, not every detail in the Bible needs to build an argument on it. Do you recognize that? And sometimes we get caught up in arguments in the Bible because we don't see The importance of what he's saying, the context, the genre, it's small. But it produces something in that small seed, this unexpected, isn't it? It's hidden, it's secret, but out of something so small comes something of tremendous, tremendous power. You know, Jesus often in the Gospels, he associates the mustard seed, and you've probably had more experience with this, with yeast. I know people that have yeast cultures from 200 years ago. Are you guys like that? Is that your world? That's weird. <laughs> I don't know. Do you guys do that stuff? They, right, and this is like a party. You, you get together and you share yeast. And how much do you need? I mean, like a barrel? How many of you have a, yeast of, a barrel of yeast, right? It's just like, hey, let me have just, I don't know, a pinch? And, and then it says in, Ma- in Matthew chapter 13, he, he described it this way along with the, the mustard seed in Matthew thirteen thirty three, He told him a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, yeast. That a woman, she's at a party and somebody gives her 300-year-old yeast and, and it's hidden in three measures of flour. That's 60 pounds from what I understand if we translate that over. Till it was all leaven. What is he describing? Yeast seems so... It's fungus, isn't it? It's gross. What are we doing? It's bacteria that's like working. And what does it do? It, it's so tiny, but, but if you leave it there for a while and the next day and the next, I don't know how it works. I'm not a baker, but I guess it grows and it, it moves or something, right? And it works. It's hidden, isn't it? It's small. It's insignificant. But see this, that's a picture of God's kingdom. It's a picture of the kingdom of God so he's telling us two things one what's the kingdom of God like but he's also challenging our perceptions he's challenging the way that we see things how do we want God to show up in our world in our country in our family I want lightning I want angels right I want feeding the 5,000 I want some walking on water. If I'm praying and I'm faithful, Jesus, you better come through and you better show up. And Jesus is saying, you're gonna miss me. You're gonna... I'm at work. I'm like leaven. I'm like a seed. It, it seems like the, the wintertime, the seeds aren't growing, the plants aren't bearing fruit, but, but have eyes to see. There's more that's taking place beneath the surface. And, and think about Again, think about just, we're gonna survey just for a moment the gospel of Mark. We're only in chapter four. I know it's taken us 10 weeks. Sorry, I'm a little slow. Not as quick as others. But think about how people are responding to Jesus. Who is the mustard seed? It's Jesus, right? How do they see him? How do you see him? How are they responding to him? What kind of reactions do his disciples have? What kind of reactions do the religious, what kind of reactions did his family have, right? You remember that? Jesus lost his ever-loving mind. We gotta get him. Has anyone said that to you? It's like this Jesus stuff, it's getting to your head. And think about the way that Jesus shows up on the scene. We're gonna celebrate Christmas, right? Advent, oh my gosh, is in like four weeks, guys. Wow, I'm already seeing Christmas ads and all of that, but the whole story, where was Jesus born? You guys know this? In Bethlehem, right? Now, Bethlehem is a significant town in terms of prophecy, the city of David, but as a cultural center, there's not much to it. And who were his parents? They were leaven. Ordinary, right? They were a mustard seed. Mary, 15, 16, I don't know. Joseph, ordinary, average names, ordinary from the outside, right? Oxford, England, a bunch of guides in tweed jackets, wasting their time over pints. Mary, Joseph, what are they? Would you have the eyes to see? Mary is someone of tremendous significance, but would you see her? Would you see Mary today? And where did Jesus grow up? I mean, the whole story of Jesus is almost set up to fail. Do you realize that? Mary, Joseph, where did he grow up, guys? You, do you know? Na- I'm here. it's like, Nazareth? Yeah, <laughs> be Pentecostal, right? <laughs> Nazareth? Where the heck is Nazareth? Now, I know you're probably like, Israel? Okay, yeah, that's easy. I mean, it's over there. If you're even a deeper scholar, you may say Galilee. Okay, that's the northern region around the Sea of Galilee. Where is it? I have no clue. You know why? Because that's what Nazareth is. I have no clue. Where does he come from? Arkansas somewhere, backwoods, Louisiana, Cajun, Creole, swamp. We used to say in Massachusetts, swamp, Yankees. That was like you grew up in the... Where is that from? And in fact, if you go to John's gospel, right, if you read the gospel of John and Chapter 1, Jesus is on the scene, the Messiah. Who's the Messiah? The king of the universe. And Philip is so excited that he's found him, right? And so he goes to Nathaniel. Nathaniel, dude, the Messiah is here. Who is he? Well, he's from Nazareth. John chapter 1, verse uh, 46. What, 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 What does John say? Nazareth? Can anything? Mustard seed. Can anything come from Nazareth? What does Nathaniel lack? He can't see. This isn't how God shows up. This isn't how God works. And if you were gonna begin a movement, what kind of people would you get on your team? If you're gonna start a business, if you're gonna start an organization that's going to influence the entire world and and take the gospel to the ends of the earth, what's your A-team look like? Who did Jesus choose? Again, if you're just going, let's survey for a minute, just the gospel of Mark. Go back to chapter one and notice passing along verse 16, passing along the seas, having a stroll, and he, do you see the word, saw? Do you think he saw something in Simon, a mustard seed? He saw something different than you and I would have seen, and he, they're casting a net for there are fishermen, and he said... And what did they do when someone says? They listen and they heard, Follow me. And it began to draw them in, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately there's an impact, right? There's it's starting to grow, and they leave their nets and follow them. And then they went a little farther. And what did Jesus do? He saw another group of guys, James and John, some of Zebedee. And immediately again he called them. So they heard, and what happened is it produced fruit. Who are fishermen? It's the everyman, right? They're not highly educated. They're not uneducated. They're not the rich. They're not the poor. They're just kind of in the middle. These are not A-string people. Jesus doesn't start in Jerusalem. He doesn't start with the professors. He doesn't start with the PhDs. He doesn't even go to Oxford. He gathers fishermen. Then he, he gathers women among the fishermen. You know that women were not Talmudin. They were not disciples of rabbis. And among his women was a woman who was a prostitute and who had been demon-possessed. And then it gets worse, guys. It gets worse. The team that Jesus is gathering is the most unexpected and hidden and secret kind of team because notice chapter 2. Who's he going after next? Who does he see? He went out again beside the sea and a crowd was coming to him. This is chapter 2, verse 16, if you're following along. And he was teaching them. And I wonder when he was teaching them, was Levi listening? And he passed by and notice he saw. Jesus has eyes to see. He sees Levi sitting at a tax collector's booth and he says, hey, I want you. Are you kidding? Do you understand who Levi is? This is a criminal. This is a, a man who takes his neighbors and he extorts them. This is the mafia of the worst sort. This is someone who's, partnering with people who are taking your money and kicking your kids out of school and and ruining your country. And Jesus, he's able to see through that. Do you realize the cultural weight of that? The racism, the prejudice, all of that weight. Do you realize the kingdom of God can see through all the barriers you and I put up around the spirit of God working? Do we have eyes to see? Would I see in a Levi what Jesus sees? And it gets even worse, right? Because what does he do? What party does he go to? He goes to Levi's house. Hey, let's go have lunch with your friends. Who's Levi's friends? Miserable human beings who extort others, sinners, tax collectors. Watch, verse 15, and he reclined. He's, He's comfortable there. At the table, at the house, and many, I love that, many tax collectors. Mark's like, oh my gosh, it was crazy. And sinners, they're with him. Remember what's the definition of the children of God? They're the people who are with Jesus. That's it. Jesus is the center. They're with him. And his disciples, for there were, again, many, notice, that are following him. And the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees. Notice that next word. They, what did they? Okay. You starting to see these parables. What did they see? Disgusting. Vile. When we see evil, we destroy the image of God in others. Every human being, as vile as they may be, as violent as they may be, are still created in the image of God, guys. We cannot reject that. They saw what they wanted to see, what their culture told them to see. And he's eating with them, right? And they said, well, why? Okay, that's a good question. Why, God? Why are you doing things this way? You eat with sinners and tax collectors, and when... Jesus heard it, notice, ears to hear, did they hear? Because those who are are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I'm not here to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, this was opposite of their cultural norm. Jesus said, I don't want your sacrifices. Did you know that? God said, hey, I want your sacrifice. He's like, I don't want them. Because the goal of sacrifices was mercy, and you guys are cruel, and vicious, and hateful, and the way you see the people that God loves, you condemn them and you cast them out. I'm here to rescue them, guys. I'm here to love them. I want to eat with them. And you want to ignore them. Do you see that we, do we not have those eyes to see? We need radars in our, in our ears and our eyes to see the way that Jesus sees. You know the only way you're going to get there? You got to sit with Jesus. We got to get at his feet. Remember, who are my mother and my brothers and my fathers? All these dudes and these ladies and... Sitting right here, listening to me. They're eating it up. They're saying, Jesus, help me see. Because how does the story end, guys? Where does Jesus' story end? He goes in chapter 11. We're going to get there eventually, maybe next year. And he shows up in Jerusalem. That's where the kingdom, that's his like throne room, right? And how does he show up? You know the story. Hosanna. Oh, man, Jesus, you're going to kick some butt. You know, Gondor taken over. What happens? He rides in a donkey, hidden, veiled. Is this the king? Did they have ears to hear? Those in the crowd, remember, Hosanna, Hosanna, what happens a week later? What are they now shouting? Crucify him. What happened? Expectations, guys, expectations this is how God shows up in the world. This is what he does in a country. This is how God moves. We have these expectations, you know? What if those expectations are blinding us from that God's already at work? And the antidote is to sit at the feet of Jesus, because Jesus does not He takes the values of the world, you know, have you noticed this? And he just sh- turns them upside down. And he works in ways that, that we don't expect, and he draws people, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the weak, those who are cast out and he brings them in and then he uses them because the only way you can use someone like that, it gives glory to God, not to ourselves. This is the story of Jesus. It's like training, discipleship's like training to see the way that Jesus sees, to hear, is that something we want? It's incredibly difficult, guys, because we're in a culture and even a Christian culture, can I say that? that wants you to see a certain way. And even pastors, I mess it up, like me, that wants you to look at the world and and, and want us to hold on to power, right? How are we gonna get the kingdom here, guys? Next election, most important election of your lifetime. How many times have I heard that? Okay, is it important? Yeah, it's important, but it's not the kingdom. It's, It's important to invest in, but that's not how God shows up. How does he show up? in the unseen, in the veiled, in the small, in the insignificant, in the trust of a Mary and a Joseph in Nazareth, he heals. Because who is the lamp? Who is the seed? Who is the light? It's Jesus. Where does the power for this life come from? It comes from Jesus. And here's what it looks like, Philippians chapter 2. What did the life of Jesus look like? Let each of you Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interest, notice, of others, of Levi. The tax collectors, the prostitutes, those Roman centurions who are destroying my country, look to the interest of others. What interest did Jesus take? He took interest in his enemies. And have this mind, the same mind as Jesus, among yourselves, which is in yours in Christ. Jesus is in you who through Though he was in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God as a thing. I got to hold on to this. But instead, he poured himself out. He was a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The way of Jesus was the way of death. He said, You know, if a seed, for a seed to give life, do you know how it gives life? Do you remember that story? It has to fall to the ground. And you know what the seed has to do? It has to die. And then out of that death, it brings life. Jesus said, if you wanna find life, you gotta lose it. But if you find life in me and my sake, if you'll let me speak to you, if you'll hear me, if you'll follow me, I wanna produce life. What does that look like, guys? It looks like a church that sees evil and doesn't respond with evil. Because that's normal. I'm so angry at what I see on television. I don't know if I'm angry about what you're angry about, but I'm angry. I'm hurting, I'm sad. But when I see evil, you know what the gospel says? Jason, do something good. Because evil produces evil, but in the kingdom of God, God shows up and he does something good. And when I'm offended, when you sin against me, you know, I want to rail. I want to assume she knows what she's doing. What a jerk, right? What does scripture say? Hey, Jason, listen, if I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus, there's a plank there, brother and it's massive, isn't it? Before you go and address your brother, would you sit with me, and can we talk about the planks so that you now have the character and the humility to go talk to someone? Eyes to see, ears to hear. God, I don't feel like I have a lot. I don't feel like I can give much I want you to give out of your scarcity. I want you to to sacrifice. I want you to serve. I I want you to pour your life out because see, I and the presence and the power of the kingdom in you. And, And if you trust me, I'll work through you. Do we trust him, right? This is the kingdom of God. But as a church, we have to help each other to see well and to hear well. That's what the church is, to be his hands, his feet, his power, his love in the world. We're gonna end this morning by sharing communion together. Now, if you didn't grab the elements, don't worry, they're available. I didn't pick them up when I came in, so I need to go get one right now. And they're available in the back and they're also available up front. The reason we do this is the communion is a reminder of the gospel. It's the reminder of of why God loves us, accepts us through Jesus, that through his broken body and his shed blood, God opens our eyes to see and thank you, I'm being served, see? (laughs) That's the example. (laughs) And gives us ears to hear. And and so maybe in this time as we hold these elements, um, we'd allow the Holy Spirit to search those areas of our life where we don't, honestly, there's things I don't wanna see. Sometimes I don't wanna see like Jesus, I don't want to I don't want to hear like him because, you know, if I do, that means I'm not in control. And if I'm not in control, then that means I need to surrender and I need to allow him to guide me. So let's spend some time as we hold the elements. And then once we spend some time in prayer, we're going to receive them together. grew up before them like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. But he had no beauty. He had no majesty to attract us to him. There was nothing in his appearance that would cause us to desire him. He was bruised and afflicted. He took on our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we were healed Jesus we wouldn't have seen you in the first century they didn't see you they didn't understand you unless they were willing to see help us to see help us to see father and help us to see today where you're at work and where we are discouraged, Lord, would you remind us this, this is encouragement to, of, to know where the power of the gospel is found and it's found in you. It's found in being with you. It's found in listening and, and surrendering to you. And so would you lead us as a church? And I thank you for the truth that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it and gave thanks. And he said, take and eat for this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this now together in remembrance of him. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup. And he said, this cup, it represents the new covenant that is now established in my blood. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim together the Lord's death until he returns. Would you please stand with me? If you're here this morning and you know you need prayer, we're going to have our prayer team available on the left and the right. They're going to be up front. And would you come at any time after the service or during the service and receive that? It's good to be with you together.